Welcome to the European Greens podcast, where we talk about the way forward to a greener and fairer Europe, together with green leaders and activists. The European Greens are a European political party that brings together national parties sharing the same green values, like democracy, feminism, support of LGBTQ+, and climate action. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, and together, let's green our future. Today we're talking about child labor and forced labor at large. For this, we have a two-part episode because there's so much to say around this topic. So today I'll be in conversation with MEP Anna Cavazzini, and in the second part of this episode, I will be in conversation with MEP Saskia Brismo. Both of them have been very vocal around the issues of forced labor and provided very insightful approaches. So for today, please make yourself comfortable and get ready to listen to this fruitful conversation with German member of the European Parliament, Anna Cavazzini, who's also the chair of the Committee on the International Markets and Consumer Protection. In February 2021, Anna Cavazzini presented a discussion paper named Towards an EU Imports Ban on Forced Labour and Modern Slavery. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the main point of this paper, the context and power dynamics at play for child and forced labor, and the tool that could be a solution towards banning forced labor goods. So enjoy the episode. Perfect. Okay, so thank you so much for joining this episode of the Green Talking Heads. Um, to start with, I'd love, you know, if you could be able to just frame um, forced labor, child labor, what is it, what's the definition, and where does it actually occur? Yeah, hello. Um, I think it's really good that we talk about forced labor today because we have a big problem. There is a lot of products we consume in the EU internal market and we don't know that they're actually made with forced labor. There's estimated like 25 million people around the globe still in forced labor situations today, which is far too much, as you can imagine. So I think it is a really serious problem that we need to tackle there's actually a definition about it by the International Labour Organization because you asked about the definition. It is um, Convention Number 29, and it talks about forced labour as all work or service which is exacted from any person under the menace of any penalty and for which the said person has not offered himself or herself voluntarily. Um, and I think. To make it a little bit more illustrative, I can probably talk about two examples. One quite famous example of forced labor is actually the Uyghurs in the Chinese region of um, Xinjiang. And it's a very known case because there's really like detention camps for the Muslim ethnic minority um, of forced labor where um, the Uyghurs are basically detained and they have to work, for example, um, to produce cotton. And in fact, one in five cotton um, garments in the global markets is coming from Uyghurs forced labor camps. And probably a second example, um, there is really also forced labor um, in all kinds of sectors and also countries. For example, you have to major fields in southern Italy where migrants are working. You have coffee plantations in Brazil. You have basically brick factories in India, um, construction works in Qatar, 
and also the production of medical gloves in Malaysia. So unfortunately, forced labor is a very widespread problem. It's good to have uh, the context and to know the different countries uh, in which this is happening. Uh, now, to be uh, clear as well, I think it's, it's you know, really a phenomenon that is mostly observed in the global south for products uh, mostly consumed in the global north then, in terms of textile, uh, smartphone material, electronics, etc. So uh, what does that say about the, the dynamic that's at play here? Yeah, there is, of course, some power dynamics um, and also, of course, the international labor division problem at work because um, a lot of the dirty, bad, pollutive industries are basically being outsourced to the global south that we in the European Union can basically consume cheap products at the disadvantage of the environment, but especially at human rights. So I think um, that is why we have a very, very big responsibilities as consumers or as the consuming market um, to change also our rules and like speed up our influence in the global south to change um, the situation. And of course, one problem is still poverty because a lot of people, for example, a lot of families um, give their children to um, basically kind of slavery-like conditions because they can't feed them. Of course, that's why the structural problem underlying this is um, often, of course, also poverty and also bad um, governance in a lot of um, countries in the global south that the government cannot enforce or does not want to enforce human rights. Yeah, definitely. Yes. And I think that's a uh... That's one of the um, one of the issue and one of the things that you actually worked on as well with the with the study that you presented. And so my next question would be that um, for for the European Union to take a firm stand uh, on this fight against these forced labor ecosystems, how um, can the ban on forced labor goods be actually enforced? Like I know that you have a mechanism in mind that you would work with, um, and uh, on December the eighth as well, if that's still the date, uh, there will be the sustainable corporate governance proposal to be published as well. So if you can tell us a little bit about all all of this, um, yes. Um, we have indeed developed an idea, an instrument um, that we call an import ban on forced labor. Um, and we managed to basically get it in a parliament um, resolution. And yeah, luckily also uh, Commission President Ursula von der Leyen in her speech about the State of the Union took this idea up, which I very much welcome. And yeah, we hope and still expect that the Commission is um, really proposing a legislative initiative um, in, in December. So the idea, we copied a little bit from the United States because the US has such an instrument already in place. The customs authorities can block any import from a third country to the US if there's an allegation of forced labor. And this allegation can be brought forward by, for example, the United Nations or investigative journalists, NGOs, academics, whomever, if they basically think, let's say, a certain shipment from China uh, that includes cotton is basically made in some of the Uyghurs forced labor camps, then the U.S. customs authorities can stop this ship. And then the company has a certain amount of time, like three months, I think, to prove that the cotton comes from somewhere else where there's no forced labor involved. So if the if the company can prove it's no problem, then the ship can go into any American harbor. 
Um, and if not, yeah, then they cannot import the product. And then usually what happened in the past in the US is quite interesting that the companies tried to alleviate um, the problem. So for example, we had a case of um, medical gloves being produced in Malaysia under forced labor conditions. And this load of medical gloves was stopped in US um, Customs Authority. And then the company basically in Malaysia paid back the workers because they were in debt bondage. Um, it was migrant workers in, in Malaysia. So the companies tried to um, really solve the problem on the ground with um, also American diplomatic pressure because they don't only stop um, the products, but they also basically accompany this with diplomatic um, exchange with the country concerned. And I think this is a great model that also we would like to have in the European Union, I think it's the clearest instrument where really the custom authorities literally can block the product. And I think this is better than any CSR due diligence or whatever approach. It's good that you mentioned the, the, the US because that was also part of the, the questions I wanted to ask um, with the fact that, you know, the they definitely have a lot of, um, uh, you know, interesting lessons for us to to learn on. But also it's it's you know, it's been shown that it's a model that also can be used um, as a hidden protectionist tool in trade. And so, yeah, how can we make sure actually that it actually protects uh, the vulnerable people who suffer the most um, from forced labor? I mean, one interesting information is that the Americans always tell us they would really prefer the EU also having a similar instrument in place because what, what they can see now is that some of the products deviate them to the EU because also, Australia is basically developing a similar instrument, also Canada, also Mexico. So there is already a lot of countries with um, such an instrument in place, but the EU. And of course, in order to um, have a global effect, it would be really important that also the EU um, starts with, um, with this instrument, with a forced uh, labor import ban. And of course... In any trade measure, we, we hear the argument, okay, isn't that protectionist? But I would also say some international conventions and, for example, the goals of fighting climate change, but also fighting forced labor are probably um, basically higher in the hierarchy than, than free trade. Um, and as I said, if the company takes action, they can also at the end import the product. So it's, it's not basically a ban forever. It is just until the company takes some actions and tries to solve um, the problems. And my goal is really not to basically punish any company, but to really eradicate or help eradicate um, forced labor globally. Yes, I'd like to go back to the tool that you mentioned earlier in the, in the discussion paper that was presented now in, in February this year, uh, that's named towards an EU import ban on forced labor and modern slavery. Uh, I'd love to know if there's some specific insights, highlights that our listeners, uh, you know, could know about and, and uh, uh, go back home with. And also, how was this received? Yeah, I mean, it's very um, technical. So the nerds and experts amongst you should probably read it. But we um, tried to first prove in the study that it's possible to have an import ban on forced labor. And we... Um, showed the different instruments or the different models that are available in the European Union. And basically the biggest 
question that is still um, on the commission's table today is, do they use a trade tool? So really like a proper import ban that I described and that also the, the US, for example, has? Or um, do we take more like a due diligence approach, like um, basically the mandatory due diligence legislation that will also come up? Um, and this is also what we are exploring in the study. And the study clearly comes to the conclusion that a trade-based instrument, a proper import ban, is more effective because forced labor is such a serious problem and such a serious human rights violation that in this case, um, you need a basically sharper sword <laughs> to, to really um, solve the problem. Um, some people in the commission, and we discussed this option also in, in my study, um, favor a due diligence approach because I think they probably fear this this very like strong and strict instrument of an import ban. Um, but yeah, I think and the conclusion of my study is that an import ban is is in this case the um, the better instrument. In general, I think of course we need to accompany this with a horizontal due diligence legislation, which will also be hopefully proposed by the Commission very soon. The Parliament is is pushing very strongly for that. And this is a very good, I think, um, combination of tools. Let's let's put it like this. And as I said at the beginning, you still, of course, need um, diplomatic um, interference with uh, countries involved. You also need to use um, development aid in the best way possible to also um, help people who, for example, send their children <laughs> or uh, to work and so on and so on. So you need basically different kind of instruments. But I think the import ban on forced labor is one of the cornerstones of such an instrument mix. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, yes, as one of the last questions, I'd love to um, ask you, you know, that's something that's a bit more um, concrete and, and closer to uh, the everyday citizen, but beyond the policies and beyond the studies, uh, there is thankfully a growing amount of citizens initiative towards more conscious consumption practices. Uh, and so I'd love to know if there's any specific practical tips um, that you would give to someone trained to have a more conscious approach to consumerism, being you know careful about the things they buy, uh, the things they consume and, and things they can do on a, on a more like yeah everyday basis across the EU. Yes, as a consumer, it is really at the moment very difficult or almost impossible to track forced labor. And this is a problem. You can, of course, have, have a positive approach and just buying um, clothes, for example, or products that are clearly marked as fair trade or have like one of these like labels that um, basically show that they exclude um, forced labor or that they have um, good labor conditions. But if products don't have a, let's say, positive label, it's really almost impossible to detect. And that is why also I'm so strong for a legislative approach, because of course you can, as a consumer, influence the behavior of companies. And I think it showed in the past years that so many companies changed their behavior, for example, having more cotton, organic grown cotton, or for example, British supermarkets banned all products from Brazil because they say, okay, we cannot guarantee that they're not leading to more deforestation in Brazil. So, And this was all also um, the, the result of, of consumer pressure. And I think this is really, really important. Yeah, but ultimately, I think we need a legal approach to um, also not overburden consumers with 
too many problems we're still having in the world and then telling the consumers, oh, you, you just have to take the right choice. I think this is really too, too hard and almost impossible. But I think consumers should use their power in also writing the companies, writing uh, politicians and so on and so on and help us in, in that. So, yes, um, I'd love to also know, like in terms of, you know, again, concrete actions that we can take, uh, even though it's, it's, it's tricky. And I'm actually very happy that you mentioned that, you know, not all the responsibility lie on the consumer's uh, shoulder. But for example, how can I, you know, take action to make sure that things are implemented, that the proper policies uh, are being taken into action uh, and just making sure that I can have a voice and, and a set of actions that I can have as a citizen and a consumer? I think it is firstly um, very important that you talk about the problems because so many people are not aware that there is still 25 million slaves in the world of today, which is really outrageous. So I think if you talk to your family and friends about it, if you post on social media about the problems that we're still having, I think this absolutely helps in um, basically fueling a little bit the public debate we are having in Europe at the moment. Um, I think if you really know and if you're aware that a product is being produced with forced labor, I think it's the best to just boycott this uh, company and probably also tell the company so that they can um, probably change their behavior. And I think it is important that you write to your politicians, especially also more from the center right, who um, are often a little bit more critical when it comes to um, human rights policies, when it comes to business and human rights. So increasing pressure on um, politicians, on elected people, but also on, on governments or like the commission, whatever, is absolutely helpful in, in this debate. Noted. Thank you so much. Perfect. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Green Talking Heads with MEP Anna Cavazzini. As mentioned, this is a two-part episode, so make sure to stay tuned for the upcoming episode with MEP Saskia Brismont, where we'll be talking about a lot of different things that come in a really good addition to this part one of the episode. Among the key things that we'll be discussing, we'll talk about the study named 50 billion euros, Europe's child labor footprint in 2019, that Saskia worked on and presented in June 2021. We'll touch on the need for context-sensitive measures, the impact of climate change on the increase of child labor, and the responsibility of institutions to really enforce strict measures against child labor and forced labor. So stay tuned for this upcoming episode. And in the meantime, catch up with all the episodes of The Green Talking Heads. Share it with people around you who are keen on the variety of topics discussed in this podcast. Subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platforms and follow the European Greens on social media for updates.